right. Welcome to another uh, Chris and Rick Talk Guitars. That's Chris over there. Hello there. I'm Rick. Our previous episode, we talked about Japanese guitars, and we it's a huge topic, and we love to talk about it and rant about it, um, so we decided to do a part two. Uh, Chris had some good insights uh, to bring to part two w- uh, with regard to Japanese guitars. Chris, why don't you kind of get us rolling on what you're thinking well, my idea for is part I, two? I just generally said that it might be good to talk about how the the big American companies dealt with it. You know, we talked last time, we talked about a lot of the copy era mm-hmm. and the first original designs from Japan. We might talk a little bit more today about how Fender and Gibson and whoever else dealt with the the, um, the Japanese companies as it applies to that, if you can't beat them, join them. Cool. That was my idea. I like it. So let's, let's roll with that. Why don't we? Why don't you pick a, a big one? I mean, you want to pick their Gibson or Fender to start with? Well, I guess we should start with Gibson because I think they were the first one where they um, where they kind of took the Epiphone brand and um, sent it over there. Yeah. Um, and we could just break for a moment to talk about like one of the things that's kind of funny is in that like viral Gibson video, um, uh-huh. they talk about brand dilution. Uh-huh. This is a classic example of self-brand dilution. Because if you oh, look right. at all those beautiful Epiphones first when they were owned by the, the original company, right. beautiful arch top guitars, and then Gibson bought them and they made really great Gibson. They were very similar to the Gibsons, but you know they were great guitars. I think the problem was they were almost so good that Gibson, there wasn't enough separation. So Gibson decided to just kind of like Send up a phone to Japan and, you know, make it its own thing and hit a different market. But that was the point where really you cheapened the brand mm-hmm. name, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's like kind of a classic example in my mind of brand dilution. Because to this sense. day, think about it. If you went out right now and got in like a 1960s beautiful casino, Epiphone casino, like what the Beatles use. Yeah. And you get up and you play that, um, you're going to feel great about it because it's a really awesome classic well-made guitar yeah. but you know from a you know a superficial brand level somebody sitting out in the audience is like oh he's playing an epiphone so it's yeah. like you know it's it lost it's you know it, it may sound superficial but at the same time there's there's power in that you know like knowing that you know all this history and stuff behind this name now it's diluted it's like it could be it could be a japanese epiphone it could be a korean epiphone exactly. it could be a chinese epiphone it just it doesn't really mean what it used to be, the label does. I hear you. And that was, and I apologize for that sidetrack. It just popped no, no, into no. my mind. But in 1970 or so, that's when Gibson decided to, to send it over to Asia, send the Epiphone label. And so they started building them. Some of their those designs were, you know, based on, you know, classic, you know, USA Epiphone models, maybe with little twists, like uh-huh. a bolt neck or something like that. And some of them were completely original designs. And when they really got serious... Probably right around the time that Fender did, sometime in the 80s, where they wanted to do, they wanted to have more of the Japanese market. So they started the Orville by Gibson company. Got it. Or, or label. Yeah. You know, which was made by, was that made by, you know, I should, I'm going to get in over my head. I mean, it's it all might good. have been Fuji Gen that made them. Uh-huh. And those are really great guitars. Yeah. The deal with those are, they're, they're you know, they're exact copies of the USA, like Les Pauls, uh-huh. SGs and whatnot. They have um, they have USA pickups. They have nitrocellulose lacquer, uh-huh. and the the logo is really cool. Have you, have you ever seen one? No. 
The logo is just, it looks almost like Gibson. From a distance, it looks uh-huh. like Gibson, but it says Orville. Oh, cool. And then underneath it, it says by Gibson, and it's the same font, and it's oh, inlaid. Nice. Really nice guitars, and that was for the Japanese market cool. alone, so we didn't really see those yeah. guitars here. Now you can because it's a world, you know, worldwide market right. where you can see just about anything. Those are cool, and they also made... Um, the Orville, which was like a level down, and it may have even been la- later, which was kind of the same guitar, but it didn't have lacquer and USA pickups. Huh. That they make. There's some really nice guitars, but there's also some lower end guitars that are just okay. So that's what Gibson was doing. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else interesting that they would have been doing with Japan at that time, as far as trying to open up any uh-huh. other markets. The uh, Epiphone. What did they do with? Epiphone has a pretty interesting post-70s history, too, because there was a time in like the early 80s, like around 83 or so, Uh where for some reason Gibson said, let's try to build Epiphones here for a a little bit. And for one year, they made, I think it was at least, it was at least two models. It was an Epiphone Spirit and an Epiphone Special. And the Epiphone Spirit was kind of like a uh, Les Paul special shaped, but oh, it had okay. arch top, humbuckers, a wraparound bridge. Really cool guitars. Uh-huh. It's exactly, I mean, it's all made like a Gibson. It's like, you know, cool. it's exactly like a Gibson, but it says Epiphone and it's got a very unique one time only Epiphone logo. Those are really cool guitars. You'll good? see those from okay. time to time. The special was kind of the same deal, but it was an SG shape. And I have a story about one of those specials. Back when I was working in a guitar store, uh-huh. and I, I was selling guitars. At this time, I wasn't working so much in, as repairs, which I ended up doing later on. Uh-huh. But I was a horrible salesperson, <laughs> other than I could bullshit with people and, right. and help them put, yeah. find guitars that fit them. And yeah. I liked doing that. But it's, it's, this guitar came in on consignment, which was one of those Epiphone specials that I'd never even heard. I knew nothing of this brand, but I picked yeah. it up, and I'm like, this is a great guitar. And it happened to be um, belong to... Um, the the actor who played Punky Brewster on Punky Brewster, really? so it was like a star That's guitar, but a child anyways, star guitar. The people in the shop laughed at me because I sold that guitar for four hundred and fifty bucks, and they were just freaking out like, "How did you get that much for an Epiphone?" But it was a really great cool. guitar. I actually wish I would have gotten that guitar. And the person that I sold that guitar to was a parent of a kid who wanted to get a good first guitar, and they were looking at all these other guitars, and they're just like kind of like crappy starter guitars and they didn't have very they didn't play very well and I steered them over to this I'm like this is a great guitar you know it's got one pickup blah blah it's very simple and they took my word for it but like a couple of days later they came back and they wanted to return it because it didn't have enough pickups it didn't have enough tones oh. and um, I should have just taken it back and, right. and, and stuck it off yeah. the side and got it myself and I don't remember if they took it back but the thing of it is, is if they kept it I think it would be so great because if that person would have gone on to play guitar it would have been cool saying, yeah. wow, my dad got me this really cool, somewhat rare. Was it P90s? Or no, was it, it was one humbucker. Oh, okay. One, oh, but it was just, you just pick it up, and it's yeah. a great guitar. It's got like it. a good Gibson SG. Yeah, you yeah know? for sure. And, and all we had around at that time were those, you know, the shitty Korean Epiphone, you know, that, and I, I shouldn't say shitty, no, but, just, but okay. So, so was that Gibson's attempt to kind of bring the Epiphones back to America and see we what they could try. do? It, or? I, you know, I really don't know what the, yeah. the reason was. They only did it for about a year and it didn't work. And what they did, so they shifted. What, the only thing they did when they said this Epiphone isn't working, maybe uh-huh. it's the name, they put Gibson back on the headstock. The same exact guitars. So you can find those guitars that either say Epiphone or Gibson and they're exactly the same. Huh. And they're really cool, no frills guitars, you know. You used to be able to get them for three, four, five hundred bucks. Now they're probably close to like eight at the minimum. Dang. Maybe you know, maybe up to like twelve or something. 
great guitars. I mean, for cool. the money. I mean, for a, a vintage style guitar. And that was one big sidetrack. What were they talking right. about? <laughs> well, we were talking about kind of if you can't beat them, jo- join them. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So Gibson, with the Epiphones, they sent them overseas to, yep. to be made in Japan. And like you were saying, um, it is interesting to see how they diluted the brand where you've got these American-made ones that, like you're saying, the casinos and stuff that the Beatles played, and that, which are really cool guitars, and then these later models that were built in other places that aren't as good. Um, yeah, so it is interesting to see how they were kind of trying to negotiate this whole, you know, Japanese infusion, you know, into the market, the Yamahas and the... Ibanez were great guitars. You know? They got there eventually. Not yeah, just yeah. the copies, but yeah, the, the models that they yeah. built themselves. That, exactly. Yeah, no, so. but at the time, the stuff that Epiphone was making for Gibson was was just all right. Yeah. You know, in the in the, f- the first seventies, they had some. I remember they had like a um, a, ho- a hollow body red hollow body guitar that was pretty popular. You saw a lot of them. That was I a remember really, that too. That was a really crappy guitar. It had yeah. A, a bolt on neck. It was really clunky. Yeah. Really hard to set up. Um, I didn't like. I wasn't a fan of that guitar right. at all. And you know, and, and the bolt-on that I had too was a decent guitar, but it uh-huh. wasn't as good as the later Japanese guitars right. and even the later Epiphones, because around you know around the mid '80s, there um, I think even the maybe even the early '80s there were some Epiphones that were made in the Matsumuko factory that mm-hmm. were really cool. They made some casinos that were great, huh. and they made them for the Japanese market. First and then early '80s, they brought some of them over here, and you can see those from time to time, and those are really great. Those are cool. you know better than you know any of the you know the Epiphones that you know non-Japanese Epiphones later. But the very early ones were just okay, and then they got better, and they did the um, the Orville and the Orville by Gibson guitars, which were great. So that's all Gibson was doing. They're playing in these markets over in Japan, trying out things and bringing stuff over here, and. Then Fender, which kind of did the same thing. They were getting hammered. I mean, there was one company in particular, Greco, that was making these Fender copies that were just like really great guitars yeah. and very, you know, kind of reasonably priced. So um, they were getting hammered by those. And when they went to, to start Fender Japan, they went over there and they actually got the, the company that was making those to make them for Fender. That's and that so pretty cool. much killed the, the yeah. Japanese copy market because, you know, if you have a choice, I want this really great... <laughs> This really great Japanese guitar, yeah. or this really great Japanese guitar, the same guitar, but it says Fender yeah. on it, or you know, Squire by Fender on it. You're gonna go for that probably. Yeah. You know, the brand does have some power over the oh totally over there. So and, and you know, you talk about brand dilution with them in a ways. Fender was kind of a little bit worse. I don't want to say that word because it's not. It seems more negative than it is. But uh-huh. they flat out said. I mean, Gibson said. You want you can't get a Gibson unless you buy something from the USA. Right. You can get a Fender, that you know from Japan. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of it's interesting that you know they they went that far with the name when they started. It was just Squire. They were you right. Know, they, they right. Were, actually, the very first ones said Fender. I think Fender by Squire, and they changed that. I don't remember, and I don't remember for sure, but yeah. Well, I think it was kind of smart because, like you're saying, I mean, yeah, you could you could buy a Japanese copy. Um, or, but you know, as we know, I mean, you, you talk to these people from Europe or Japan, and their mindset is they see these people, their heroes playing a Gibson or a Fender, and right. that's what they want, you know, just like other people in America seeing their heroes play these guitars. So, you know, you had prominent players coming up in Europe and Japan wanting these guitars. So, to me, it seems smart that Fender said, Hey, 
you know, we're going to brand these Fender because we know. And again, like if you, as you and I know, we will look for these Japanese guitars throughout, you know, the various time uh, periods and they're great guitars. Like, oh, yeah. the, you know, these um, Japanese strats and tellies and, and all these models are great, great guitars. They're built well. They're, you know, yeah, attention to detail, all that other stuff. And so a lot of these reissues, too, that are J- Japanese made are just, you, you know, you see them in stores and they're great guitars and people love them. So, yeah, I think it was smart for them to do that, really. But in a way, what's really interesting when you talk about brand dilution is they even like diluted the Squire brand because the first the 80 Squires were fantastic guitars. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the first Squires were like great and they go for I mean, you know, some of those are like 12 to $1,500 yeah. for some of those early JV like Squire guitars. Uh-huh. And now you have like the cheapest guitar you can buy is a Squire. So, yeah. In, yeah. you know, it's like there's there you are again. You just like <laughs> but I mean, brand is only one thing I, I know. I mean, a good guitar is a good guitar. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it seems like pretty superficial to be all brandy. But when you're into classic guitars, it, it means something, you know, it's just it's a vibe that, you know. Well, and again, I mean, these companies, as we talked about before, they've earned their place in the market, you know, Fender and Gibson. I mean, they you know, they're two of the pioneers of electric guitars or guitars in general. And so, you know, within the guitar world, those are the two main brands that that people love and and for good reason you know they've had their ups and downs in terms of quality control and all this other stuff because they've been around so long but um i just think it's fascinating that um you know these foreign markets were building copies and building great and then building great guitars that uh, you know of their own models and then really lighting a fire under gibson and fender to try to do something to compete with that you know and what they and, did was the they diff- just said, you make them. Exactly. And we'll just, yeah. you know, we'll license you and you make them. And then we'll just like kind of knock out, knock you out at the knees for the other one. Yeah, you know? which is kind of interesting. And I'm just wondering if you saw any, I'm just wondering if you saw any signs uh, in either company uh, in the American side of things that, that improved as a result of having to compete with these other, you know what I mean? Rather than like them embracing these other, you know, manufacturers and stuff in Japan and stuff, or I, I'm just, can you cite any, you know, like from maybe from the eighties and, and nineties? If, uh, if I understand what you're asking is, and I think I mentioned this last time is like with the reissue program, the Japanese did better, yeah. did better with reissue uh-huh. program right out the gate. Mm-hmm. And it caused America, to, the American company to kind of reevaluate the way that they were doing them. And they kind of tightened things mm-hmm. up. So that was one way. Um, and it's interesting because it's so confusing when you start talking Japanese guitars because, you know, you have the the wholesaler, which, you know, and then the label, which may right. be the wholesaler, and then the different factories. Because there were a number of, there wasn't just one factory that was making Fender Japan guitars. Right. The initial one was Fuji Gen, I believe. Uh-huh. And if you see a Fender guitar that says Made in Japan, those are from the Fuji Gen factory. And that's who made Greco's and a bunch of other really great non-Fender, like Fender mm-hmm. knockoffs. And then later, when you they hit the crafted in Japan guitars, there were two uh-huh. other factories that were making it. Was like Dyna and Tirada or something like that. I, uh-huh. I don't know. So it gets really confusing yeah. paying all this attention to all these. So they're actually different guitars, really, because they're right. made in different factories with different tools and whatnot. Yeah. But they're they're all they're good. Yeah. But some people were really keen on the first ones and go, those are the, those are the great ones. Yeah. That's where all the early squares and stuff were made too. So it's really, it's, it's kind of fascinating, but it's, it's a little bit, I mean, there's a lot of info out there and it's kind of confusing. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't know what I was, if I was answering your question or... Oh, well, I was just wondering, like, because I'm, I'm trying to think, rack my brain, because I know that for Gibson, for instance, I, under the tutelage of, of that CEO they had for 20 years, that was just really, uh, in my mind, and I think in your mind too, really did a lot to damage the brand, rather than just focus on quality and, and you know, um, pillars of their uh, models, you know, he chose to, like, do all these crazy things like the Firebird X, as we've talked about, and, you know, robo tuners and all this other crap. Um, and I just think, like, it, it would have been cool if if this foreign competition would have really just lit a fire under them to say, you know what, let's get back to the stuff that that made us, uh, uh, the you know, one of the big players in, in guitars, you know, rather than trying to go off in this other direction. and. No, I think they did that. Things. I mean, that's yeah. right around the 80s to right around that yeah. time. I think both Fender yeah. and Gibson and probably any other large company, kind of that's where they took stock and said, yeah. you know what? People really want our old things. Yeah. So they tightened it up. But when you talk, when you talk about the Firebird X and all this other weird crap, it's just like trying to reach, open up and reach different markets and like yeah. innovate for innovation's sake. Yeah. I mean, anybody who really like has any knowledge of guitars probably realizes that, you know, that's not what a guitar is. It's not a guitar isn't designed to be the newest kind of. It's like yeah. it's like it. There's you know sounds you get out of it that are classic, and if you stick with the classics, you're you're gonna, you're never going to do no wrong. But yeah. I mean, people will try to innovate and they'll try to come up yeah. with different things, and some of it will be okay, and maybe people will adopt it for a while. But um, for the most part, it's like I mean, we're like old classic, like set yeah. in our ways things. But I do think to answer your question, I do think that. Uh, right around that time, excuse me, in the 80s is when both Fender, Gibson, and I think Martin and whoever, they, they, they said, wait a minute, people are buying our old stuff. Let's yeah. let's reevaluate. And that's when you started to see reissue programs by these companies. So that cool. was all their focus. And it's interesting because these both of, at least with Gibson and Fender, they made their reissues. It evolved into something else, the custom shop. So yeah. And it's like you pointed out, it's like, okay, this is a custom shop. We're going to make things like we should be making them anyway, right. but we're going to charge you for that. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't worked my inflation calculator to see if it, <laughs> if it's like it worked out to be like a legitimate way to charge for those things because from the beginning, you know, things were way more handmade. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know. But, but I think that's a good point. I, I think, I think the reissue stuff was really uh a reaction to that in a lot of ways. And just them seeing that these old models that they had, there was a lot of interest in them, right? I mean, oh, so, yeah. and you know, and again, even further back, I mean, in the '60s when they, you know, when they first came out with the standard, and then they weren't selling any of them, so they didn't make them. But then there, in the late '60s, it's like, wow, uh, people want, like you said, they wanted the burst, but they actually issued the gold top standard, but right, kind of missed it a little bit. But at least they were they were trying to get meet that demand right, they right. knew that like, like hey man yeah, people want these exactly. so they were at least trying to do something it took them forever to get it right yeah like because it's kind of a pain in the ass because you have right. to like think about it and look at them <laughs> that's why you know Fender was like the company that when they did their reusure program that kind of set the standards for that because yeah. they actually went flew somewhere where there was a, a massive amount of um, old instruments and like took measurements and you know documented yeah. stuff bought a few of them took them back and they based their reissued instruments on actual you know instruments instead of gibson going okay it's yeah. a les paul we got that template we'll make you know a les paul shape we'll put this on here and we'll use the wrong neck angle <laughs> and the wrong pickups and the wrong bridge but you know it looks like a les paul yeah. <laughs> so yeah that definitely um and i don't know if japan was 
as much responsible. Right around the same time that was happening. I mean, Japan is responsible uh-huh. in the way that they were making old style guitars, like yeah. 50s and 60s versions in the 70s. Yeah. And when the other companies had wandered away. But um, Japan was super important to Fender when they went, you know, around that time because Fender for a while only had Japan producing guitars. And I remember it's very interesting. I remember being in Marshall Music in um, Lansing, Michigan, and walking through there, like when the new guitars were out, and there wasn't one new USA Dang. instrument in there. And the, and the shop owners wasn't sure if there would ever be. You know USA instruments again. I don't know. Isn't that crazy? So and I so I walked out of thinking like, wow, man, I because I had a USA Strat and I'm thinking this is going to be valuable because they're not making them anymore. But I'm going to find out it was just a short while. Yeah. And they were while that during that time they were still working on their USA reissues yeah. too. But Japan was their lifeline. Yeah. Then in the early '80s. Well, then that's a great point. I mean, that's how that's how important that they became in the guitar manufacturing business. I mean, it's insane to think that, but that's kind of that's that's a pretty huge deal. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, so, I mean, not only, you know, kind of to harken back to the first part of this Japanese guitar series, um, they've kind of played an important role in, in guitar manufacturing for a long time and, and serve different purposes for guitar players at different times, right? Like we talked about before, it's like you could get an affordable Japanese guitar that was a, that was kind of your gateway guitar to, you know... Uh, Fender Strat or a Gibson Les Paul. And then there's also just the fact that they were manufacturing their own models of guitars that were kick-ass guitars, just beautiful guitars and top-notch players or world-renowned players were playing them, you know? And so, yeah, it's cool to see that kind of they they played this uh, different roles, like in lighting a fire under the ass of these companies and then also really competing with them head-to-head as guitar manufacturers. And then you know? being their lifeline and yeah. then being part of them, being partners. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and one thing that I tend to forget about is, what you know, talking about the end of, like, Japan, like, making the standard Stratocaster, let's say. It's like, I, it's hard to think, but the, the Mexican, the made in Mexico standard Stratocaster was the replacement for the made in Japan standard Stratocaster. And that was, they were designed to hit the same exact, you know, price point uh-huh. and to do because once they started getting that they they stopped doing the japan standard yeah. and i tend to forget i just think of it as its own thing it's right. like you, know, you have the made in mexico strat and the made in japan but they're they're supposed to be the same thing and um you know i think the the, the made in japans were a little bit a little bit better but uh-huh. i think that um they, they eventually caught up with the made in mexico yeah so yeah, well, you know, one thing that I don't really have that much knowledge about that I'd be interested in uh-huh. is like what happened with Gretsch. Yeah, I remember they went through the Baldwin period in the seventies, right. and I don't know if right after that they they just kind of tanked and, and Japan bought them or what. But now that's I mean Japan is Gretsch now, and it has been since like yeah. sometime in the nineties, right? Well, doesn't Fender own Gretsch, or does Gretsch own maybe, Fender? I, there's some relationship. Maybe they there. do. Maybe yeah. they do. But I'm I'm just like yeah. See, we'll it's have re- to do some research on that. Yeah, but the, I'm yeah. That's interesting too because yeah, Gretsch is another American guitar company that has been around forever and uh their early guitars are funky too actually the their early ones are stuff. cool yeah. they have the baldwin area is era is the really yeah. funky one that's where yeah. they have the the weird bst yeah. like the bolt on and yeah. just the little really funky thing that was kind of like like gibson's norland era right where right, they, right. you know they did some really funky and some of that stuff is cool yeah you know it's, yeah it's, i think so too um but 
Yeah. But yeah, it'd be interesting. We'll, we'll do some research on that, and, and maybe that'll we'll dub we'll fold that into an episode. But and what do you think of Japan today? Like, what are they doing today? I mean, they're making tons of guitars. Yeah, I mean, they're making Ibanez, you know, yeah. signature models, and and still they're still making the you know the SP whatever they are the SG the Yamaha stuff. Yamaha. There's a lot of that coming from Japan. They they've they've switched a lot of those companies switched a lot that used to be just Japan only. Now they have they'll do like Korea. Yeah. And, Taiwan, maybe. Yeah, that's true. China, whatnot. I don't know. That but. seems to be just the way things go, right? But um, still, I mean, it seems like there's a booming Japanese market for guitars, and and still, you know, gateway guitars as well to buy. Yeah, well, yeah, know? for for gateway guitars now, um, I mean, the stuff that's coming out of China is so like good for the money that you can get. It's really hard. I mean. Yeah, I mean, get a Squire, you know, one of the um, yeah. vintage modifier, whatever the hell they call them. I mean, you have so many choices now as for gateway guitars. Yeah, and Gibson, both Gibson and Vendor are still plugging away at trying to make affordable things, which I think is really noble. Yeah, I mean, look at, I mean, look at the Gibson's 2019 release. There's a, a million, not a million. There's four billion <laughs> guitars billion. on there. That now there's a lot of like options for, yeah. you know. For a decent USA-made guitar yeah. that, that, if you compare inflation-wise, was not available, you know, back in the day, that yeah. not as many. Um, and people will say that all the time, and it cracks me up about like Gibson being so expensive. You know, like they're like a, you know, this this guitar is like a thousand dollars, and it's like that's not that much money no, for not for a new guitar, a USA guitar. And like you're saying, based on their manufacturing process and the way they build these guitars, it's it's you know. It's kind right. of the nature of how they manufacture these guitars, set necks, you know, all that stuff. And there's so many fenders you can get for yeah. dirt cheap. Yeah. Like, in the Mexican line has tons of great models. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else we could, you know, the Japanese guitar is like a huge subject. You could, it is, do I'm sure 20 we'll parts, but more. I think, I don't know if, if there's anything else we need to touch upon. Um, I don't think so. I think it was really, it's just cool to see how, you know, the, if you can't beat them, join them thing was, was happening with Fender and Gibson and how they were wrestling with this, you know, this big competition from Japan, you know? And, um, right. And I think they learned a lot with them about like, you know, I mentioned like how the Japanese would market, you know, they would have tiers of, you know, model line. Yeah. And I think they've, they t I think they took a little bit of that and that's why there's so many choices now, yeah. you know, yeah. like, here, 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 here for, you know, here's your, here's your $200 Strat. Here's your $350 Strat. Here's your $500 Strat. Here's your $1,200 Strat. That's a good point. You know? And, you know, that's, I don't know if that's directly related to the old tiered system in Japan. It might be. It might have had an influence it's on it. It's definitely a thing. And I, I think they'll really, I'm not, I don't know that much about classic marketing, but I think there's, there's always some sort of a system for hitting different parts of the market, but um, it's really interesting the way that japan did it like yeah you know if you can there's can download an old catalog like a greco catalog or something like yeah. that. And just look you'll see three less pauls yeah and you know the, the 500 600 700 and um just like what they have you can if you can read japanese you can see <laughs> all the features that as you go up you get better so yeah well it's interesting because like um you know, back in the day, Gibson had like student models, or even Fender did too. They had yeah. student models, but it's a good point. You didn't, I, I didn't think about it until you said that. Is like you really didn't see that kind of diversity in models until about that time. The Japanese, in the Japanese uh, infusion, like 
you know, you had the Les Paul Jr., you had the Special. They were less, you know, they were less expensive. They were but they were, guitars. They were But different. now yeah. you've got like, you know, with Fender, like you're saying, you've got these all these different tiers of a Strat you can the get. The same basic guitar. So right. it's like the yeah, same, same amount basic of pickups, the same switches. Yeah. There's, it's a Strat. Yeah. But it's yep. this level and it's this yeah. level. And, you know, some of that is done by like, you know, country of origin where yeah. they're created. You know, you can shave off some. And, yeah. And as you go up, the quality gets better. And better, yeah. So, so that's kind of a cool observation, and I, I it stands to reason because I mean, yeah. I don't know, man. It's, well, I it love, sounds good to me, man. I love Japanese guitars. They're I love cool. USA guitars. I love, I love guitars. guitars. Yep, exactly. Me too. Well, cool, man. Uh, that was a great convo. I'm sure we're, we're gonna we're gonna weave in more Japanese guitar someday stuff someday. But uh, until then, uh, thanks for listening. We totally appreciate it. Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Chris, you got anything to say? Thank you for listening, as always. And have a great summer. Cool. (laughs) Yes, have a great summer, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 